Hey, this is Heather from the media team at Word Alive. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. This week, we have Matt Hobson talking about positioning yourself for abundance. He really wants us to not worry about our backup plan. I hope you enjoy this message. Um, I'm going to do immediately a big no-no, which is leaving the stage for our camera crew because they have a hard time following us. But it's going to make a great point to start the service. How are you? Hello. I'm going to talk about positioning yourself for abundance today. And positioning yourself is very important. As you can see, I've positioned myself here. If I was hearing impaired, sometimes you'll see in the service, Edith, our interpreter, she'll be talking with her hands and doing sign language. And if you have any kind of hearing issues, you would position yourself here so you could see what she's saying, right? So it wouldn't make sense to position Edith over there if our hearing impaired section was here. And it wouldn't make sense if you were hearing impaired that you would sit over there and Edith would be here, right? Right. Pretty simple. So positioning yourself is going to be really important today. It's the same reason you choose the seats that you normally choose every Sunday. It's comfortable. That's where I like to sit. But where you position yourself will give you two outcomes. Some of you will leave today out this door and you may quit your job, sell your house, and follow some radical call that God's given you in this service. And some people will walk out of that door and will say, Kent wasn't there today. The music was too loud. It was Cody singing, right? So how you position yourself is going to determine what you receive today. So I want to encourage you to position yourself in a place to hear what God is going to say to you. Now, I love Kent Maddox, and there's one of a kind, no doubt. But I told him I was going to share this. Thursday night, I woke up at 2.30 in the morning with the Lord saying this to me. Kent Maddox is not the only one who can hear from the Lord. So I got up at 2.30 and went in the living room, and me and the Lord had a dandy old time. But why is that important to you is because you can hear from the Lord as well. And so everything we do today as we move into this new series of PUSH is going to encourage you to get in a place, position yourself in a place today to hear from the Lord. So that was just a simple word that the Lord gave me that nobody, you know, Kent's not the only person that can hear from the Lord. That's simple. See, we don't like simple. We want deep. Everybody wants deep. So you can lock yourself in a bedroom, put your Bethel worship music on, light a candle, get out your big Bible. Pastor Dan's got a Bible that's that big. Get out your big Bible, and you can sit in there for hours dreaming and thinking of how many feathers are on the wing of the seraphim, right? You can get deep in that Bible study. But then you can come out of that room, and you can treat your wife like garbage, or you could ignore your children the rest of the day. See, people like to go deep because deep doesn't really require a lot. It's the simple things that require something. Because simple forces you into a place where you have to act. You have to make a decision. And see, our lives are really controlled by three decisions. Check this slide out. And I want you to look at this with me today. And I don't want to just give you a funny speech. And I don't just want to entertain you while Kent's gone. I want to deliver for you. Because for some of you in this room today, it's life or death. To hear the Lord today is life or death for you. And I take it very seriously. And you've entrusted me with your most valuable gift, which is your time. And I'm not going to waste it. 
So we're gonna jump right in. Everything in our lives is controlled by these three decisions. What am I gonna focus on? What does this mean? And what am I going to do? And we're gonna focus on number three. What am I going to do? It's a simple decision. There's a great quote by Tony Robbins. I think we have a slide for it. But when you hear people say, it took 10 years of all these things to happen for something to change, what we really find out is that change happened in a moment. Now, it may have taken 10 years of every day, in and out, small decisions to get to that place where you said, no more. I do. I quit. Enough. It may have taken 10 years to get there, but what we find is that all that leading up changes actually happen in a moment. And so that's what I'm going to do. If you've known me for any period of time, I'm going to force you today to a place to make a decision. I'm going to force you and position you, whether you like it or not, to a place where you will have to make a decision. And then it's up to you. But it's a simple decision. And it's going to matter because over these next four weeks, as we position ourselves, this is going to set the tone for you of what the Lord wants to do in your life. So without wasting any of your time, if you've got a Bible app, a real Bible, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. See, I believe today is going to be a defining moment for some of you in this room. It was for me. Hearing that last song, Cody's singing, that's pretty much a testimony of my life. And I am up here and shouldn't be right? But as you'll learn through the life of Elisha and through some of my story today, it's those acts, those simple acts over the years that positioned myself into a place where God could do what he wanted to with me. And so if you look at 1 Kings 19, I'm going to give you a little context. Elijah, why I would choose two Elijahs to talk about? It drives me crazy because I always had a problem with this growing up. But Elijah, the older one, was a great prophet. He was bold, daring, full of faith. Elisha, the little one, let's call him the little one, wanted to be like him. And God in his sovereign will gave him a double portion of his anointing. Elisha actually performed more miracles in the Bible than any other person other than Jesus. And I grew up with him being one of my favorites because there's a great story in the Bible where he's going up to the temple to pray one day and you hear some kids call out, where you going, old bald-headed man? And he calls out a bear, and it mauls all the kids. And if you're bald, you love that kind of stuff. It's nothing to do with the message. That's free. But what we find that's interesting about Elisha is that he's just an ordinary guy. He grew up working on his family's farm. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a monk. He wasn't some high big prophet. This is just some normal guy living with his parents, working on their farm. So let's look at the scripture in 1 Kings 19. It said, So he departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Jephat, who was plowing the twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed before him, threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, then I will follow you. He said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? 
So Elisha turned back from him, took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Look to the person next to you and say, this is the start of a crazy story. I didn't really feel the energy on that one. Uh, maybe it's cause Kent's not here, but let's try again. Look at your neighbor and say, this is the start of a crazy story. And it's not just the start of a crazy story, it's a crazy, um, uh, just an amazing leap of faith that we see from Elisha. And, and you'll see some of that in my story as well. And I understand that not everyone that comes in this room today is going to have that amount of faith to just leap out like Elisha and do the things that I'm challenging you to do. But I do know this, in Romans 12:3, it says something like this. God has given each one of us a measure of faith. So you may not have the faith that Elisha has in this story, but you do have a measure of faith. And next week, Dr. Patio is going to show you what to do with that measure of faith because her message is use what you got. And we all have a measure of faith. We all have something we can use. Next week is also First Fruits. If you don't know what that is, we're going to get together corporately. We're going to come into alignment. We're going to give together. Uh, you heard Dan and them talk about it in the video. You're going to celebrate your handout and things in your house when you have a dinner with some friends, and, uh, your friends and your family. Um, but we're going to celebrate that. But next week, Dr. Patio is going to show you how to use what you got, even the little measure of faith you have and what it can do. But today we're going to look at Elisha and the crazy story. In 1 Kings 19.19, 19, here's what I want you to see. It says, he departed from there. He found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing the 12th yoke of oxen before him. And he was on the 12th. Think about that. I don't know if you're like me, but when I read the Bible, I like to put myself in the story. It just makes it relate to, to me a little better. Think about every day for your entire life, you're at your family's farm, plowing behind two yoke of oxen. Now, Stephen Furtick has a book called Greater. He does a great job of giving you kind of a picture of what this would look like. I want to recreate it a little bit for you with a slide and just kind of talk through it. If you want to check out this slide, this is someone plowing behind two yoke of oxen. Does anyone think anything unusual about that view every day? <laughs> day in and day out. Obviously, it's in the dirt, it's dusty. But what really stuck out to me, and I promised my wife Holly in the first service that I would stay filtered in describing this, but what stuck out to me is that every day you're looking at the same two rear ends. <laughs> day in and day out. And if you've had kids or if you've been at the circus or the fair, you know what happens when that tail goes up and you're behind one, right? So every day, day in and day out, you're plugging away behind the two oxen, looking at the same rear ends. Now, maybe you're not a farmer and you don't understand what that's like. But if you're a salesperson, you understand it. Every day you're out trying to hit a quota, making sales calls, pulling the same doors. Or if you're a housewife, are you opening that same dishwasher every day? 
You stepping up to that same stove every day? What if you're a new mom? You're changing that same little dirty rear end every day. The only thing that changes is what they had to eat the day before. But you're looking at the same rear ends every day. Now, I'll probably get a better reaction from you on this one. Turn to your neighbor and say, I've been looking at the same two rear ends every day. Other than it being funny, what can we learn from Elisha in this story is that Elisha was faithful in this task. It, can't, it could not have been easy every day getting up, plowing behind oxen. I'm sure it's physically demanding. I'm sure the smell's horrible. I'm sure it gets old. I'm sure it's monotonous. But he was faithful in the little things. And I read something in Luke 16 that says something like, if you're faithful with the little things, you'll be faithful with the large ones. And so God noticed Elijah, Elisha because he was faithful all those years of plowing behind those oxen. Just like if you're making those sales calls, just like if you're changing those diapers, God's noticing. And what he's doing is he's looking for a time where you've positioned yourself to a place where you can say yes when whatever he has for you comes about. But it's because you were faithful in those little things. You know, God doesn't just ask you to do something and leave you out in the cold either. I mean, if you think about Elijah, he came up to him, he threw his mantle on him. What was that? Well, it would have been some kind of fur, some kind of animal. It would have been a sacrifice. But essentially, Elijah was saying, hey, what was my mantle is now your mantle. The God that's working through me is now going to work through you. The anointing I have is now going to be your anointing. I'm going to be your mentor. You're going to be the student. I'm going to help position you to a place where God can raise you up and do something. See, this was a divided nation of Israel at the time. Uh, false idols and prophets are around. This is when Baal was around. And God takes an ordinary, normal guy and raises him up and positions himself to do something amazing. Not too far off where we are today, right? A nation divided. False idols everywhere. And God looking for someone to raise up. My first point, and I only have two, Pastor Dan has some great tips. He said, nobody will ever hate a short message. So you're only going to have two points. This is your first one. You don't have to understand fully to obey a God immediately. You don't have to understand everything fully to obey immediately. See, Elijah didn't understand everything. He just obeyed. Look at verse 20. He says, let me go kiss my parents and then I will come. He didn't have to pray about it. Did I just say that? In church? There's just some things, I'm sorry, Miss Winnie, but there's just some things, Miss Winnie's over our prayer team, there's just some things you don't have to pray about. You may have heard it in church growing up where people say stuff like this, you just know that you know that you know. Right? Elisha didn't have to pray about it. He heard from God, he heard the prophet, and he said, yes, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I'm going. I was in a men's group one time in Tuscaloosa, where we used to live, and we were on this text chain back and forth, and somebody sent a request like, hey, I just found out there's this single mom with a bunch of kids that got kicked out of her house, and she doesn't have anything to eat, and, you know, do you guys think we should do something? question mark, pray about it, and let me know. <coughs> now, 
I wasn't as filtered and reserved as I am today. So I respond back, like, count me in, what is there to pray about, question mark, to his question mark, right? There's just some things you don't have to pray about. Should you help someone in need? I don't know. Let me pray about that one. You, you don't have to pray about that. Uh, in the first service, I said this, if we just do what God's already told us to do, we would probably be okay. We don't have to wait and pray about everything. I have, a, I have just a quick rabbit trail. I didn't do this the first service because I forgot. But I'm going to give you a freebie on this little rabbit trail. I promised myself one. So this is my one. When I was in sales, everyone would ask me, what's your five-year plan? Where do you see yourself in five years? Right? We can't live that way anymore. You know, we can't even plan out a year. Uh, we try to plan here. You can't even really plan out six months. Not in the kingdom. Things are too dark and things are moving too quickly for us to try to worry about a five-year plan. You have to position yourself where every moment you can respond. If you hear the Lord right now in this moment, will you say yes? That's your plan. You can't plan further than that. That was my rabbit trail and that was your second freebie. Now, another thing about Elisha is God doesn't give him all the details, right? That's my first point. You don't have to know all the details to follow fully. And so I was asking the Lord about this. Like, what is, I don't even understand what that means. Like, how can you just follow without knowing? And the Lord told me, I don't give you all the details, Matt, because you wouldn't show up. This is real. This is life or death to a lot of people. And spiritual warfare is real. And the Lord was reminding me, look, if I gave you all the details, you wouldn't show up. Life is hard enough on its own. You add the spiritual warfare part in it, and now we're talking serious stuff. So God doesn't give you all the details. That's why it's important for you to follow him without having all the details, because he's never going to give you all the details. And I think it's what he said to me. Maybe it was just for me. It's because we wouldn't show up. You just would not show up if you knew how hard it was going to be. If you knew. Now, of course, the reward's great, but I'm saying... You just wouldn't show up as much as I would want to. So let's look at here. Uh, I've got a great slide for you. You're going to love this story. This is of our wonderful pastor, Kent Maddox. This is seven years ago when I met Kent on a mission field in Honduras. My wife Holly and I were there with 23 random people. Kent and Bev show up like a white knight on a horse riding in three days into it to preach at a crusade. So we're all dirty and filthy, and they show up looking good, smelling good, and come in to preach this service. And I, I just fell in love with Ken at the time, and, uh, and he was just as crazy back then. I went back through my notes, my journal that I kept for this trip seven years ago, and I have an entry that says, this guy, Kent Maddox, I'm not even sure he believes the things that he says. I mean, he, is, he was crazy then as he is now, but I fell in love with him. And we go out, we started preaching in uh, military bases and villages, and we end up in this random village, and we start looking around, and Kent sees this horse way over in a pasture, this white horse. And we're standing together, and he's elbowing me. He's like, Matt, you think they'll let, let me ride that horse? I said, well, I don't know. You want me to go ask? He's like, yeah, go ask. So I go ask the guy. I'm like, hey, this pastor wants to ride his horse. He's like, you don't want to ride this horse. And I'm like, well, he, no, he does. He asked me, like, if he could ride it. I'm assuming he knows what he's doing. Um, and he said, well, okay. 
If you want to ride it, I'll bring him over. But you, this is a wild horse. You don't want to ride this horse. So the guy just puts the reins on and comes over. It has a saddle on it now. It didn't in this story. So he brings the horse over. As he's getting over, Kent's looking around on him, and he's playing around with him. And he looks over at me, and he says, Matt, you ride horses? Now, my entire life, I'd been looking at the same two rear ends every day in a sales job. And I'm feeling some type of connection with Kent, and I don't want to break it. And I feel like I've positioned myself for this crazy moment. So I look him right now, and I'm like, of course. <laughs> yes. I've never ridden a horse other than when I was a kid, like where they hold it and they just walk you around. <laughs> but with no fear, I'm like, of course I do. Do you? And he's like, good, I want you to ride it and let me know if it's okay, and then I'll get on it. <laughs> so in that moment, even though I lied, in that moment, I had positioned myself to say yes. And it was that whole risk versus reward, right? I don't know why God's connecting me with this guy, and I don't know what's all about to happen, but I feel like for some reason I'm supposed to say yes. So I'm like, yes. So Kent gives me the reins, and again, Holly reminded me of the first service, it did not have a saddle on it at this point. So I'm like, well, how am I supposed to ride it? He's like, well, just throw your leg up on there. Without a saddle? He's like, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. Once you get on, you'll be fine. I'm like, well, how do you get it to go if there's no saddle? Kent said, oh, just kick it. Good time, right in the ribs. Okay. So I'm looking at it. In that far right picture, it pretty much sums it up. I'm looking at the horse going, okay, that's about right. So I throw my leg around. And I sit up there, and it's just sitting there. No saddle, and I'm just holding on to these ropes. I'm like, well, this is not too hard. <laughs> Kent's like, you going to go anywhere? I'm like, yeah. He said, just give it a good kick. Why well, just give it a good? It's gone. <laughs> I'm talking, now I knew what a trot was. I knew what a gallop was. There's no words for what happened at this point. <laughs> this horse takes off, and, and it goes forever down this road. And these are crazy mountain windy roads. If you've been to Honduras with us, you know that. And it goes so far that I've, lo I've lost sight of everyone. I've lost sight of the school, the village, and it's running. And so at this point, I just start crying. I mean, I didn't know what else to do. So I just start crying, thinking maybe God will have sympathy or mercy or something. No one's around, so it doesn't matter, but I'm sobbing like a baby. And I'm holding on to the reins of this horse. And all of a sudden, the horse just stops. And, I, and of course, I'm, I'm, thank you, Jesus. And then in my head, I'm like, well, how do I get back now, right? And so I turn around, and the horse just walks back naturally, doesn't run, walks all the way back, gets there, pulls in, walk off. I get off the horse, I take the reins, and I go, here you go, your turn. <laughs> I'd already cleared all the tears up, got all that away. I give it, here you go, Kent. So Kent, he's like, okay, I'll ride it. Have you got a saddle I can put on it? <laughs> so they put the saddle on. Of course, Kent gets up there, and he's got it going left and right and doing all these things, and just amazing. But this story was my first step in positioning myself for what God wanted to do. Not long after this, again, I was in sales. I'm on the way to a sales call at Brassfield and Gorey in Birmingham, a big client of mine. And as I pull into the parking lot, I get a phone call. And it was Kent, and he says, hey, could you come up and have lunch with me? at Word Alive, I'm like, sure. He's like, could you bring Holly with you? That was my wife, I said, sure. And then I thought, hmm, what have I done? Why does he want Holly with me? 
am I in trouble? Like immediately all that's going through my head. So we drive up here the next day and we go to lunch and we're sitting in a room and Ken says, hey, here's what I would like. I'm like, okay, go. He said, I want you to quit your job, sell your house, move up here and come on staff. But I've gotten in trouble in the past for making those offers. So all these people in this room are gonna try to figure out how to make that work. And then we eat lunch and Kent leaves. And I thought, wow. So we get in the car, I'm like, Holly, what should we do? She said, yes. She said, what do you think? I said, no. <laughs> we were making a lot of money. I was making a lot of money in sales. Uh, but in, the, in, in all seriousness, it wasn't the money and the sales. It was fear that was keeping me from saying yes. It was fear that my past had disqualified me and now there was an opportunity and I almost felt like God may be in hang, like dangling a carrot out in front of me of, do you want to take this opportunity and then yank the carpet out? And so fear almost kept me. Poor Jeff Fink working with me for weeks laboring over this decision to actually get here. Fear almost kept us from coming here. And fear will keep some of you today from making a decision at the end of this service because it's a real thing. See, we see what happens in verse 21 because Elijah, Elisha gives us the answer on how to deal with this kind of fear. It says, Elisha turned back from him, took the yoke of oxen, slaughtered it, boiled the flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. See, Elisha was getting rid of his plan B. And out of my fear, I was wanting to hold on to my plan B. See, Elisha gives us a great example of what to do when that fear comes up. If you burn your plan B, there's nothing to go back to. You see it with the disciples when he calls the first ones off the water. They leave their boats, they leave their nets, and they follow God, right, fully, leaving everything. It's hard to follow with a plan B because that plan B is going to always keep coming back up. Every situation you have, you're going to hear the enemy speaking to you about your plan B. Now look, I'm not asking you to quit your job and burn your house and do all that unless God's telling you to do that. But if he's telling you to do that, you would know. See, in John 10, 27, it says something like this, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. Amen. See, it was those years of plowing behind the oxen of Elisha listening to God that he could hear his voice, that he knew when Elijah came on the scene, this is God. I can follow him. I don't have to pray about it. I can burn my plan B. I can go. And so you've heard God throughout your life already saying those little things to you. Even today, you can hear God. And you know what? Sometimes it's just one word. Dr. Patty preached a powerful message one time about one word. Sometimes it's just one word that gets us through that plan B. Because God doesn't give all the details, right? What did he tell Moses when he was sending him to Pharaoh? Go. When Peter's getting ready to walk out on the water, what does Jesus say? Come. It's no different with us. Maybe you're in here today and your marriage is on the rocks but you can hear the Holy Spirit whispering right now, stay. Maybe God's birthing a new idea for a business or a ministry in your heart right now and you hear the Lord say, start. Maybe God's calling you into the ministry. 
Maybe he is asking you to sell your house and quit your job and go full-time into whatever he's called you to do. And you hear the Lord saying, commit. But he's talking. The question is, are we listening? And are we positioning ourselves to a place where we can say yes, or are we holding on to our plan Bs? Look at your neighbor. Ask them this question. Is it time for you to burn that plow? See, that's a simple but serious question. Because I guarantee you most people, when you ask that question, are thinking of their plan B. Or they're thinking of God has called me to do something and I just didn't do it. But now your mind is going and you know that God has said one of those things to you. Either do what I've already told you to or burn whatever you're holding on to. But in your head right now, if we're being honest, you know God has said that. And so the question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you willing to let go of? See, that's my, that's my second point. Sometimes God uses the most those that are willing to hold on to the least. I don't know if you have kids. We have a new grandbaby. But when I was growing up, we had security blankets, binkies, passies, those kind of things. I didn't have any of that. I had a bobo. Okay? I'm going to show you what that is. Check this slide out. This is me at three years old. Check out that head of hair. So moms, as you're looking at that three-year-old, this could be the end result. But I'm three years old, and that was my Bobo. He was my security blanket. I took that sucker everywhere I went, till it really became uncomfortable for people to be around me. So old enough that that was happening, okay? And we would play war, and we would do things, and at some point, I don't know in my life, I've always wanted to be in some type of ministry, so I'd pretend to preach and do all kind of stuff. My mother was just an amazing woman, and I would always do that uh, around her and stuff. She would encourage that. But I realized at some point, I can't preach holding Bobo. That's just going to be awkward one day. So I don't know how old I was, but old enough that we were playing out in the woods and doing things boys do, and I decided that poor Bobo had come to the end of his days. So the enemy forces captured Bobo. And I don't know where they took him, but I found him. They'd hung him in a tree. They had cut off his leg and pulled all of his stuffing out. And poor Bobo on that day died the equivalent of a Navy SEAL death for the teddy bear industry. <laughs> but I had to let go of my security blanket. See, sometimes God's asking you to let go of your security in order that you can walk into your destiny. See, what led up to Kent's call that day at Brassfield and Gory, Holly and I were coming back from a vacation, and Holly's security blanket was money. And it wasn't like she was insecure with money. It was what was her security. She grew up, she didn't have a lot. And the fact that I made a lot of money was her security. And over the 15 years we had been married, that had kept me at times from going into ministry full time, even when we knew God asked us to do it. Because she was afraid we wouldn't have enough money, we would struggle. And I can understand that, especially knowing her past. But while we were on vacation, Kent's preaching a message and Holly gets delivered from this money security issue. 
And he said something in the message that really got to her about giving out of your lack, not out of your abundance. And it just changed everything for her in that moment. So we come back and we get here and we realize that Kent's having Benny Hinn here. And we had no idea who Benny Hinn was other than watching the videos of people making fun of him at the time. But we knew Kent liked him, so we were coming. So we show up in our travel wear from vacation, shorts, t-shirt, sock, I mean, just you know, beach wear, right? We get here, and Kent has us reserve seats on the stage for Benny. So we get up here, and we sit down. We're just paying attention and watching. And at some point in the message, he starts talking about positioning yourself and sowing into your dream. And he asks, if anybody here would like to write a check for $1,000 to sow into this dream, I encourage you to do so. And I thought, well, I bet you do. <laughs> I'd like $1,000 too, Jack. <laughs> I'm not sowing into Jack. Like, we just got back from vacation. We're broke. Like, I can't pay anything. So I'm not sowing into anything. Now, Holly, newly delivered from her insecurities over the money issue, is filling out an envelope next to me. I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, why are you not going down forward? So we're having this conversation on the stage with Benny here. I'm like, you're not putting that check in the plate. She's like, oh, yes, well, I am. And I'm like, well, you'll go down by yourself. And she called my bluff. She gets up and starts walking down. I'm like, oh. So I get up and go with her. And I stand right here, unwilling, not a cheerful giver, hard-hearted, just like this. And Holly's sewing into it. She's happy. I mean, it's a clown, just going crazy. So we get back up in our seats. I don't think anything about it. We get home. I'm like, what has gotten into you? She's like, I just got to let go of our security. And I'm like, well, what did you write on the back of the envelope about your dream? Like, what dream did you sew into? She said, it wasn't mine. It was yours. I wrote on the back of that envelope for you to be in full-time ministry. That was Sunday night on Monday is when Kent called and offered me a full-time job. So I just want to encourage you today that your life can change in a moment. If you're willing to position yourself to a place where you can say yes, to position yourself for God to show up, he can do something extraordinary in your life. There's a, there's a weird story to me about Jesus, and we'll end with this. It's in Luke 4. It says, this is the third test the devil, the devil took him on, being Jesus, to Jerusalem and put him on top of a temple. He said, if you're God's son, jump. It's written, isn't it, that he has placed you in the care of angels to protect you. They will catch you. They won't so much as stub your toe on a stone. Yes, said Jesus, and it's also written, don't dare tempt the Lord your God. This is verse 13 I want us to focus on. That completed the testing the devil retreated temporarily, lying in wait for another opportunity. Lying in wait for another opportunity. See, the devil was reminding Jesus, you got a handout when you came in of your plan B. The devil was reminding Jesus of a plan B. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was set before Jesus. And so he said, hey, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself off here. Giving him a way out, essentially. Just speaking a plan B to him. 
And that's the problem with plan Bs is they just keep coming up. The enemy keeps coming up at the next opportune time. It wasn't long ago, I'm talking recently, I had a really horrible week at work, some really tough meetings, some spiritual warfare, some decisions that was happening in my life. And immediately the enemy speaks to me, just like he did Jesus, and starts giving me little plan B whispers. What's your plan B, Matt? And so in my head, I start forming one. I start calling people. I'm like, hey, you got any job openings? Hey, is there anything available out your way? Hey, what's going on? And in my head, I start making these plan Bs. And I go out hunting one day with Cody, where, and I'm in a tree stand, I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about my plan B. And all of a sudden, I start having these crazy thoughts, like, what would happen if I threw myself off this tree stand? And I just recognized the spiritual warfare that was happening and how the enemy had tried to sneak his way back in and remind me of a plan B. And I had to go back to that very first time I met Kent where I had positioned myself and said yes. And then I had to start thinking back through of the time we were on the stage and Holly was here and she said yes. And why we got rid of our plan B to begin with. And so that's what I want to do for you guys. I love, Pastor Dan does it on Wednesday night at our prayer meetings all the time, but there's just something about a prophetic act. Act, Like when you do something prophetically, God always shows up. When Holly went down prophetically and sowed into that, it changed our lives. And I know that that can happen for you. And I know that I'm talking to people when I say, is the Lord whispering, in your bad marriage to stay, to start, to go, to commit. But there's something that the Lord has asked you to do. And for whatever reason, either you've done it and the enemy is reminding you of your plan B today, or you've never let go of plan B in order to do it. But Cody's gonna sing a song and prophetically, we're going to take, and I had to do it. I had to do it this, the, this morning in the first service. I had to burn my plan B. I was a little nervous when I came out and I told John Hendricks, hey, my plan B, if everything goes haywire, I'm just going to do good, make them happy. That's his tagline. I'm just going to do good and make them happy. I was preaching about a plan B while I was making one. You see what I'm saying? Plan B is going to paralyze you with fear. So we're going to get rid of it today prophetically literally gonna burn them so you're gonna put your plan B's in here we're gonna take them out in the parking lot and as you're leaving you're gonna see them up in flames I tried to burn them in here the fire department wouldn't let me do it horrible first Sunday with Kent gone by the way if you burn the building down <laughs> so we're gonna go in the parking lot but Cody's gonna sing a song and I just want to encourage you think about your plan B and don't just come up here because other people are but really seriously, think about your plan B and if you're willing to let go of it like Elisha did his yoke and oxen and you're willing to say yes to whatever God is asking you to do, then come up and join us and put it in there. And then we're going to close. Fair enough? We give you our plan B. We give you our plans. And God, I just asked you to show up right now with everything that's been put on this altar, just like you did with Abraham. Show up and walk through this place. Make a covenant with us today 
on this prophetic act, on what you've called us to do, what you've called us to let go of in order to follow you. We just ask you to seal it with the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus. In his name, amen. I hope you enjoyed this message. For more content like this, please visit wordalive.tv. If you're ready for your next step, you can jump into Freedom Track anytime. Have a great week.